Hi, this is Steve. On The Cinephiles, we've talked about funny films, violent films, dark films, thrilling films, and movies brimming with social commentary. But Paul Verhoeven's 1987 film, Robocop, manages to be all those things simultaneously. Now, watching it this last time, I realize Robocop definitely isn't for everybody. Its violence is gratuitous, its sense of humor is dark and even morbid, and its depiction of American society is, well... Negative, to say the least. But the truth is, I love this movie. I have since I first saw it when I was 19. Back then, I was certainly drawn to the action and humor, but I kept coming back because Robocop is actually about something. It's about dehumanization and corporate greed. It asks what price you're willing to pay for law and order, and even whether or not we have a soul. So if you haven't seen Robocop, I highly recommend picking up a copy on our website, cinephiles.net, or click on the link to stream it through Amazon. Well, while you're there, you could check out some of the other films we reviewed, maybe buy some of those movies. Or you could click on that Amazon link and buy that brand new OLED TV you've been drooling over. I bet the Blu-ray of Robocop would look great on that thing. Then, when you're done with all your shopping, tune in this Friday for our discussion of Paul Verhoeven's Robocop on The Cinephiles. Murphy, it's you. Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. What did you talk to him about? What did you say? Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I have a little bit of cold, so my throat is a little bit messed up. But I am also a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist and uh, host, writer, and producer over there at Collider uh, Video. And uh, let me tell you something. I buy that for a dollar. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, this movie that we're going to discuss today. I can't believe this broke through as a possibility for us when Steve mentioned it. I was like, oh, this is an interesting choice. Yes, let's do it. Well, the reason it did is because we have not one, not two, but three patrons on Patreon yeah. who requested 1987's Paul Verhoeven film Robocop. And those folks are Colton Blackstock. Justin Munn and Sean Higgins. Oh. So uh, we we would love to hear why you guys felt it was so important for us to revisit RoboCop. Hey guys, this is Colton in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Longtime listener, first time caller. Thank you for choosing to break down RoboCop. As a kid, this movie was very appealing for the sci-fi and action elements. But I find as I'm getting older and getting more into politics... The satire done on capitalism is done to almost perfection. Interesting thoughts. Okay. Well, it's an interesting movie, yeah, isn't it? That's for it's sure. A, it is. Uh, do you remember how you first came to it? Oh, yeah. In the theater. I went with a bunch of friends to see this thing. Um, what was it? 87? So, 87. Yeah. Uh, definitely went with a, a few friends. And just, I did not catch a lot of the messages of the movie until much later. To me, it was a fun Kind of sci. Remember, this is like only a few years after Terminator and all that kind of stuff. The sci-fi stuff is becoming a thing. Computers popping up in screen and on TV. Or I mean, on in films rather is interesting. But this film had a darkness to it that I 
immediately enjoyed. I couldn't put my finger on it why, but it was more than just a, a, a shoot 'em up sci-fi film. It had something else going for it. I remember just walking out of that theater going, "Man, this is interesting." Like, because in, it left you with the images of the dude with the with the nuclear waste on him. It left you with images of 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 Paul uh, Weller's character being shot up to pieces, and uh, and then the tender moments when. He realizes who he was. So all of that stuck with me. And of course, I'll buy that for a dollar. And Dick Jones, all those stuff, you just it just stays with you for whatever reason. And Verhoeven, who really isn't known for doing these incredible pieces of work, this is the one I think that's at the top of the pyramid for him. Absolutely. Same for me. <laughs> yeah. The um it's so funny because it captures this really weird thing, which is it's really dark. Yes. It's really violent. Yeah. It's really funny. Yes. It's really action-packed and it's strangely political yeah. in its weird way. And I think, you know, I'm I'm freshman in college when this comes out and uh one of the things I was thinking about watching this this time was I think that they had to have read Frank Miller's The Dark Knight because oh, that comes out in 86 <laughs> and it has such a similar thing of these these news characters mm-hmm. that are talking to you these little snippets of life in this world that are completely comical yeah. this extreme darkness and violence and then also this like kind of emotional story going yeah. on along yeah. through it tone wise they're really really similar i too saw it in the theater i too saw it with a bunch of buddies yeah. we rented it over and over and over again yeah. it was just a regular thing quoted it all the time um and then i think there was probably a good 15 years where i didn't watch it i watched it again maybe three or four years ago yeah. and then watched it again last night and it's uh, it's always surprising to me how much i just go Man, I really do like this movie a lot. <laughs> I'm really happy that our patrons picked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't you don't think it's a film you're going to like. You really don't, you think it's going to be a frivolous throwaway film from the 80s. And there are a lot of them. Yeah. But this one it stands the test of time. The multiple sequels, the attempts to reboot it recently, all horrible, awful failures. Oh, yeah, and still conversations that are going to 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 create this. I think there was a TV series that they kicked Probably. around, and so the, all the, it's still it's a comic book, so yeah. it's still very prevalent in our society for whatever reason. This character of RoboCop is uh, one that people still go back to and want to remake. Well, it seems like there are these 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 properties that were created very similar times in the eighties: mm. Terminator, RoboCop. Alien and Predator, yeah, you know that have just stuck with us, even though most of the time when people try to reproduce them, yeah, it doesn't go that well. Yeah, <clears throat> they're almost it, prescient in in a way yeah. about what our society was going to confront as we became more of a technically based society, technologically based society. Well, there's some stuff in here yeah. that <laughs> still seems to apply. Sure. Um, uh, going in a little bit of the pre-production, the screenwriters are Edward Neutering and Michael Miner, and uh. Apparently, here's one story that I heard of how it started, is that Edward uh, Neutering walked by a Blade Runner poster and asked his buddy, hey, what's that movie about? And his buddy said, oh, it's something about a cop chasing down robots, which, of course, isn't really what it's about. (laughs) And he immediately goes, oh, what if I have a robot cop? And and then and so he starts working on that. <laughs> Greatness is born. Yeah. Terminator has also just come out, right. so he's See? going, "Oh, like Terminator, th- this is a good idea." And then when he finally hooks up with Michael Miner, Michael Miner has an idea of a cop that gets wounded and gets superpowers. And so they decide to combine their ideas, and that is the origin of RoboCop. That's smart. And and nobody wanted it. Of course not. And they just looked at the title and saw RoboCop and like, that is stupid. Yeah. Finally, they pitch it to Orion, which is the company that did Terminator. And Orion goes, 
okay, sounds good. Start giving it out to directors. Directors won't, American directors won't even read it. They're like, this is stupid. It's beneath me. It, it, well, and, 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 and the thing is, it does sound stupid. Well, it, sure. Um, they and and uh, but for the '80s, it seems like it doesn't sound stupid. <laughs> um, uh, Verhoeven had just done uh, Flesh and Blood, and had started, but had never quite made it to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They give him the script. He looks at the title, reads page one, throws it away because <laughs> he goes, "This is stupid. I don't want to do this." And he'd never done any science fiction right. action. This is not his thing. And his wife picks up the screenplay. Apparently, reads about thirty pages and says. You got to take a look at this. He looks at it again and realizes all of the satire and darkness and yeah. and and comments on the the civilization. He goes, "Oh, I think I do want to do it," and he signs on. Hmm. Um, the studio wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger to play RoboCop. Not a surprise. Yeah, and, and he and, and Verhoeven's like, "No, he's already a, mm-hmm. a a machine. Like, there's no, we don't go anywhere." Right. And then they want the next two they wanted, which totally makes sense, is Rutger Hauer. Yes. And Michael Ironside. <laughs> Great choice. <clears throat> and what Verhoeven finally decided is the problem is they're too big. And that when you put you a mean whole in bunch terms of stardom? No, in terms of body. Oh, yeah. Okay. Their bodies, because if you're going to put a whole bunch of body armor that's eight inches thick on these guys, they're going to look like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Mm-hmm. Like you actually need a guy who's really skinny so you can build that up. And they finally get to Paul Weller. But I think it's a good choice, too, because Michael I, Ironside. By the way, I said Paul Weller. They finally oh. get to. Peter Weller. Well, and I think that's a good choice, um, Peter Weller, because he conveys that kind of like everyman type of vibe. Yeah. Still good, still like that leading man good looks, but not the leading man energy necessarily, right? And I enjoy that about him. If you do Ironside, Ironside already has the gravelly voice and the kind yeah. of angry look, so you could see that guy being a Robocop and maybe not being someone you uh, attach yourself to. And Rucker Hauer... Same thing, kind of that aloofness of Roy Batty. I don't know how that would have played out in Robocop. Well, and this is the, this is the thing that sometimes studios don't understand. <clears throat> is the point is there's a transition. Mm-hmm. Is that there's a sweetness to Peter Weller and a likability, yep. and you feel really bad for him. So then he gets turned into this machine, and we feel sympathy. You start with Rutger Hauer, or Michael Ironside. They're already tough guys, you know. So they don't have this transition to go through to become this machine. Exactly. And apparently, Peter Weller took this really seriously. He worked with a mime to develop his uh, movement. He came up with all these bird-like movements. He wore um, hockey uh, equipment in order to kind of slow him down and work with it. Mm -hmm. And so he had really worked out a whole series of ways to move as RoboCop. And when they finally got in that suit, none of them worked. (laughs) You want to get in the movie? Well, yeah, absolutely. So we hear some ominous music as the camera moves in and that big (laughs) RoboCop title shows up. (laughs) And it's already a little campy. It fuzzes out, and now we get this media news report. It's called Media Break, and all of this stuff was added at the end of at the end of production. It's not in the script. Yeah, they added this because the studio, and this is a really good studio note, says we've got to understand this world, and we go into this crazy, absolutely crazy news report about possible neutron bombs in South Africa, <laughs> and these smiling news reporters are just like, "Oh yes, this yeah. is okay," and then they talk about. The president up on the Star Wars platform, <laughs> and there's problems with gravity, and you go, oh, this movie has gone crazy. And it's very topical, right? The Star Wars platform, which is what uh, Reagan had called his nuclear defense yep. thing was Star Wars, the knockouts, and also <clears throat> this idea of the news reporters 
If you remember the song Dirty Laundry from Don Henley, I think that was around this time. He says that bubble, bubble-headed bleach blonde comes on at five. She can tell you about the plane crash with a gleam in her eye. Yeah. That is just telling you this, this, this society of the 80s, people were pushing back underground from this presentation of corporation of putting a smile on everything. Well, this is this... And this movie, this movie's about some stuff, oh, and yeah. one of it is a huge reaction to the Reagan era of politics. Yes, um, and then we go to a commercial. <laughs> I really love Paul Verhoeven's commercial. Yes, it's one of the things I actually genuinely—I don't love Starship Troopers, but I love some of this kind of stuff is in Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the commercial is about the Family Heart Center, and we've got a sports heart. <laughs> And it's just like, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. We're in a ridiculous space. In all the best ways. <clears throat> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, this is the thing that they were really worried about when they made the film. They're like, is anyone going to get the joke? Right. You know, because when you do things that are stupid, um, people could look at it and go, that's really funny. Or they can go, well, this is a stupid movie. Mm-hmm. And then we come back. And again, our smiling news reporters talk about three dead police officers. Um, and we hear about the Detroit Police Department. And we hear about this company called OCP, mm-hmm. which has apparently privatized the police department and that the police is uh, blaming them for cops getting shot. And the guy who shot these cops is a guy named Clarence Bodiger, who is Bodiger. a crime boss of Detroit. Uh, he's killed a lot of cops. And we also go to see the senior vice president of OCP, Dick Jones. Dick Jones! Ronnie Cox. Love Ronnie Cox. Remember the last time we saw Ronnie Cox? Mm, Beverly Hills Cop? I haven't done that one yet. Oh, damn it. He's sailing down a river playing oh, the deliverance. guitar. Oh, Deliverance. That's right, Deliverance. In his first film. Yeah. This is, and what's so funny, Ronnie Cox had never played a bad guy. He, he was like oh. a, always on TV, <laughs> always playing the nice guy, the doctor down the street, the teacher, the principal. He played, the, of course, the police captain of Beverly Hills Cop, yep. which I love. And so he loved the chance to go play a really, really bad guy. That's, I bet. And his response to this, you know, the cops that are complaining is, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. (laughs) Nice. And that's the end of our news report. And we cut to old Detroit. And we're in this police station. And there's the lawyer arguing with our uh, African-American police sergeant in a classic, somewhat cliched role, but still great. Still good. Yeah. Playing Sergeant Reed. And they're trying to get the some guy off, and he just manhandles them out of the out of the place. Yeah. And who walks in as they go out? But Peter Weller. Yeah. Who's just been transferred there? Yeah, from some nicer precinct to yeah. this place, and he gets sent down to the locker room to go suit up. Do you ever wonder what he did? What to get transferred? But this is so. I learned, <clears throat> figured out something about mm-hmm. this movie that I had never noticed before. What's that he was transferred on purpose to get killed to become RoboCop. Because oh, you think they picked him out? They second. I know they did because when he goes in the locker room, he's talking to a guy and says, "What brings you to this little paradise?" It's me, man. I think OCP's doing a lot of new guys up here. And then later on, um, Miguel Ferrer says, "We're ready to go, sir. We've restructured the police department and placed prime candidates according to risk factor. I'm confident that we can go to prototype within 90 days." Yeah, so they good. Oh wow. I I mean, I'd watched the movie 20 something times, and I I only noticed it a couple of nights ago. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, Those motherfuckers. Yeah. And Verhoeven does something in this locker room that he does later in Starship Troopers, which is men and women changing together. Yep. Because he wants to... I don't know that he's he's getting the thing that he wants. What he wants is to say, there's no sexism today. Nobody's sexualized. We're not caring about bodies. Right. Um, I don't think that's what he got, particularly not in Starship Troopers. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, Because these women are very beautiful. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, again, particularly in Starship Troopers. <laughs> yes, Dino Mark. Starship Troopers is a whole other. I, it's movie. not my jam. It's, it's not, not. I know it's not people love it. It's not my. Jam. I, it's not mine either. I, I don't get think, what it's trying to say. I didn't like it. Yeah, I, I, I don't like it either. I, I, yeah. I don't think that's coming anytime soon to the cinephiles. Total Recall, though, that's a possibility. I, I have remember I haven't seen it in forever. Really, I remember having mixed feelings about it. Oh man! But I would totally revisit it. I would love to revisit. I, it. I love parts of it. Yeah, I, I remember not liking the ending in 1989 oh, or whatever year it came okay. out. But anyway, um, and what we hear in this locker room is talk of striking. Yeah, are the police going to strike? And just as they're starting to really talk about it, in walks the sergeant, and he he walks up to the locker and he takes Fredrickson's name off the locker that's the one guy that had survived mm -hmm. the shooting and that's a great cinematic moment i think yeah, it is um and he says and i don't want to hear any more talk about strike we're not plumbers we're police officers and police officers don't strike and the reactions of the cops around him yeah. they're not that happy about that no and murphy gets his armor on he heads out and comes back into that lobby of that police station, and there's some crazy guy freaking out, knocks one of the cops down. That cop comes back and kicks the shit out of him, yeah. then takes the helmet off, and that is Officer Lewis, his new partner. Right. Nancy Allen. Who we last saw in what? Anything? I don't think- We, we haven't done Dress to Kill yet? No. Okay. No. No, we've not. Yeah. Well, and what's funny is like she was known for having beautiful hair and being yeah. a very beautiful woman. And in the script, apparently, it says she takes off her helmet and beautiful blonde hair flows down and beautiful, sexy slow motion. And Paul Verhoeven, and I think really wisely, mm -hmm. cut the hair off and said, this is not going to be sexy. Yeah. It's like she's a partner. You wanted this to be yeah. gender neutral. Yeah. Yep. I totally like that. I think that. And I think she I think she's great. Yeah. I, I love Lewis in this. Uh, they, they headed to the garage. There's a little bit of talk about who's going to drive. And he he says, like, I'll drive. I always drive when I'm breaking in a new partner. <laughs> Taking a little... You know what else is funny? You know what other movie came out in 1987? Well, new partners what, that are introduced oh, with yeah. a partner beating lethal someone weapon. up. Yeah. It's Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, and again, arguments about who's going to drive. Right. Um, it, there's a bunch of stuff that came out right around here that all is connected in weird ways through some zeitgeist. Let's go to OCP. Hello. Let's go up an elevator and meet Miguel Ferrer. Mm-hmm. The late, yeah, Miguel Ferrer, yeah, who is what Jose Ferrer's son, son, yeah, yeah, um, and for you youngins, Jose Ferrer is an Oscar-winning actor. Go and watch his Cyrano de Bergerac from the fifties. That's yeah. what he won his Oscar for. Incredible actor, and we last saw him in Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia yeah. is that Turkish guy who's uncomfortably touching Peter O'Toole's nipples. All right, <laughs> oh, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. All right. Um, he's great in this movie, and man, oh, yeah. he is an amazing and fascinating kind of asshole. He's a great a-hole. Yeah, he really is. And what we hear about is there's something called the Ed 209 series that they're having problems with, yeah. <clears throat> and that Bob, his character's name is Bob, has got a backup plan, Yeah. and they're talking about Dick Jones, who's the Ronnie Cox character, mm -hmm. and he says, It's a better plan. Fucking Jones. I'd go straight to the old man if I could. Don't mess with Jones, man. He'll make sushi out of it. Yeah, you better be careful, man. I hear Jones is a real shark. Who asked you, twerp? There's a certain kind of 80s business executive asshole yeah that this that miguel ferrer is embodying just perfectly yep and he's a, it's an asshole that he'll go back to and repeat over and over again and then he'll kind of 
make fun of it too, which I in, in other stuff, which right. I always like about him. I always think he's great in Hot Shots. Is it part two or Hot Shots? I have no idea. He's in the first one, I think. Yeah, <laughs> no idea. Um, I see. I saw those. Yeah. I think I saw them once. I have no memory of them. <laughs> okay. Um, and now we go see Dick Jones, who's talking to the old man, who's Dan O'Hurlery. He's like the uh, CEO, mm-hmm. and he's kind of downplaying the problems they've had with the Ed Two Hundred Nine, whatever that is. Yeah. And then we go into a board meeting and. The old man talks about his dream and and that the big thing, and this is sort of the plot, is that OCP wants to build Delta City, which is like the modern city where they're going to control everything. And obviously, it's a multi-billion dollar project. Yeah. And what and it's going to go where old Detroit, which is where our police officers all are. We're going we're gonna to wipe that all out to build yeah. this big city. And that's the big plan. And the problem is crime, is they have to deal with the crime problem before they can get permission to go in and start building this city, mm-hmm. and they got to stomp it out. And he makes this very good speech about stomping out crime, and everyone applauds, including Bob. Yeah. Um, and he starts, but he's also talking about corporate growth, and that they've managed to figure out how to turn community service into profits. <laughs> um, and there's more applause, and now Jones gets up. And starts talking about how they're profiting from hospitals and police departments and the space program and the military. And this is all about privatization, which really began under Ronald Reagan. Yep. And is still going now. The conversation, privatizing prisons, possibly privatizing police forces. Yep. I I mean, we just had those. We have these fires going on here. I had no idea there were private firefighters. Private firefighters. Private firefighters that you can hire to Firefight your fires. That's insane to me. What's interesting to me, by the way, it's just historically, is that it used to be that all this stuff was private because you would have your own security force. You oh. would have your own, like, you right. know, schools where everything was private. Right. And that there was a certain point in the U.S. where we said, no, no, we should have these services provided equally to everybody. Yes. It shouldn't be that the rich get this set of services and the poor get nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and community, you know, and fire departments are actually where it started. Yeah. Fire departments and, um, uh, Picking up trash mm-hmm. are two of the first ones that were really made public, and public schools, of course. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, and the big thing they're talking about is law enforcement. We believe an efficient police force is only part of the solution. No, we need something more. We need a 24 hour a day police officer, a cop who doesn't need to eat or sleep, a cop with superior firepower and the reflexes to use it. And he introduces the future of law enforcement, Ed 209. He's a microphone with legs. <laughs> That's what it looks. It's always looked like to me, a microphone with legs. It's such a ridiculously silly yeah. design. But the CG, and the CGI is just it's not CGI. borderline. Stop motion. It's stop motion. I mean, borderline, I'm sorry, the stop motion is borderline cheesy, but it works. I Yeah, I think of all of the stuff that we've seen. Yeah. We've seen tons of special effects. We see from 2001 in the late 60s through Star Wars, Blade Runner, all this stuff. This that's all held up, yeah. Except for the stop motion. Yeah. Same was true when we watched Terminator. When you, the Terminator effects are great yeah. until you get that stop motion Terminator walking yep. in. Yep. And I think that's true here. And the guy doing the stop motion, and I'm not disrespecting him. I think he's obviously one of the great people. Is someone we talked about just a few weeks ago, which is Phil Tibbet. Oh. Phil Tibbet is the guy who was supposed to do stop motion for Jurassic Park mm. until they switched it to CG. Right. And so this is 1987. This is you know, six years before Jurassic Park, and he does the CG, the, the stop motion for this. Just thinking of a Phil Tibbet 
stop motion for the dinosaurs. That I was the original plan. At the time, would have maybe killed that movie, man. Well, particularly looking back at it now. Oh, yeah. Whereas I look back at the CG effects of Jurassic Park and say, you know what? They're still good. Yeah, they're still good. Whereas I look at this and go, uh, yeah, not so much. That's what I'm wondering, yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't get that wonder from Laura Dern. Uh, so a uh, guy comes in with a control system. They turn it on. There's a great musical sound effects sting as this thing pops to life, uh, which is, by the way, the one Oscar that it won, won yeah. is this for sound. Um, and everyone kind of backs away. And it stops and people settle down and we start talking about the Ed 209 series, self-sufficient law enforcement robot. And this is one of the key points he makes currently for domestic suppression, <laughs> but it could be the hot military product of the yeah. next decade. Yeah. We also get in this scene um, before, you know, what happens, Steve, you get a little window into these characters that we're going to see as we go forward. Right. Miguel Ferrer pushes the black dude off of him. Who gets all yes. free, right? And you after s- he had been scared too, right? Exactly. But that's the kind of care he's kind, that kind of a hole that he is, right? He's he'll make fun of everybody else, <laughs> even though he himself is a little scared. And the black dude smiles and kind of does what he's doing because he's got his own way of being underhanded as well that he's playing with, and th- all of that is just playing. And then the guy who jumps up to be the volunteer, of course, everybody's every corporation has that one dude's like, I'll do anything you want, boss. Yeah, whatever you want. You know? Well, and he was the third guy who was inside the elevator talking yes. with Miguel Ferrer uh, as well. And right. he they, they said, we need a volunteer. And they hand him a gun. And he, he says, use the gun in a threatening manner. And of course, he first he points him at Dick Jones. <laughs> Which I think is great. <clears throat> What's really weird to me is that he loads the gun before handing it to him. Mm-hmm. He pops a clip in it. Yep. Why have a loaded gun? Good question. I don't hand people Make, because the thing is, it's going to analyze the threat. Isn't it? I guess that's true. But if I, you know, I, it, it, it's very strange. I hand you a loaded gun, mm-hmm. and then you point it at me. I'd be like, "Holy shit! What well, are you doing?" That's how much of a badass Dick Jones is. Apparently, he, he is pointed at the tool. So now the guy kind of turns towards Ed Two Hundred Nine. Yeah, gun sort of low. As soon as he lifts it up, Ed Two Hundred Nine comes to life. Oh god! And it's genuinely scary. It's legitimately scary. <laughs> Put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. Great, great sound design and voice that says, drop your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. Yeah. And the guy looks over at Dick Jones and says, I'd do as he says. Yeah. He drops the weapon, thinking everything's going to be good. Not good. Nope. You now have 15 seconds to comply. And that's when all hell breaks loose. Yeah. You are in direct he realizes, oh shit. Yeah. Runs to try to hide behind people. They are running away. They push him back out in front. It counts down to zero, and then Ed 209 opens fire. Um, immediately just obliterates this guy. Yeah. And it lets you know that this is going to be a very gory movie. It is, yeah, nasty. Yeah. It got an X rating at first. No surprise there. 
And it was because it just went on and on. And they finally had to take just some of the shots of the blood and gore out. <laughs> um, and what's interesting is, so there's this ridiculous amount of violence. And then the next line is, somebody call the paramedics, I think. Yeah. And that got a huge laugh in the test screenings. And then when they turned the violence down a little bit, it didn't get the big laugh anymore. Mm -hmm. Because the ridiculousness of saying someone call the paramedics after this guy has been totally destroyed. Right. Is the joke right? Well, and this is this. I think is the separating moment for whether or not people are going to like this movie. Yeah, if agreed. you think this is fun on some level, you will like this movie. Yep. If you think this is disgusting, this probably isn't for you. No, because it's a lot. Yep. And then I think the next moment is so important, which is you see the CEO put his hands in his face oh. and say, "Dick, I'm very disappointed. I'm very disappointed." And, and at first you go, oh, he's a good guy because he's upset that this guy got killed. But then his next line is, because Dick Jones says, oh, it's just a glitch. You call this a glitch? Oh, no. We're scheduled to begin construction in six months. Your temporary setback could cost us $50 million in interest payments alone. Is that he's just disappointed about the, the product not being ready for production. Yeah. He doesn't care about the guy that got killed. No. Because these are horrible, horrible people. And, those, and executives are expendable. Yes. In his mind. Absolutely. It's, it's just the product that matters yep. and making profits that matters. And, of course, just as this argument starts to happen, who walks up? <laughs> Bob. Yep. Miguel Ferrer. And he jumps right in with his RoboCop concept. Yeah, taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. And, and Dick Jones is like, this guy's end running me. I got to settle him down. But yep. no good. The CEO's going, hey, let's take a look at this. Um and this is where he says, we've already got officers in key positions, mm -hmm. so we should have a subject for you soon. Yeah. So he set people up to die. Right. Yeah. By the way, Dick Jones was once Bob. Oh, of course. I have no doubts. Of course. Yeah. So he, so he sees what Bob is doing because Dick Jones probably did it in his past. Yeah. I think Dick Jones is at another skill level from Bob. Oh, yeah. At this point, only because Bob is young. Yeah. Just like the people that were, he was probably trying to do an end around on what another skill level than yeah. Bob was, when, or uh, Dick Jones was when he was younger. Yeah. And now we're exiting, and, and uh, Bob is just thrilled. That's how you do it. And he's talking to, whose name I should know, but I'm just calling him the black guy, which I oh, yeah, feel yeah. real bad about. And he's the, this guy's going, hey, watch out for Jones. Mm -hmm. and, he, and Miguel Ferrer's line is, oh, fuck Jones. He fumbled the ball, and I was there to pick it up. And then the next thing that happens is, too bad about Kenny, huh? It's life in the big city. I mean, these are soulless, horrible, yeah. horrible people. And it's a pushback, right? This idea of yuppieism in the 80s, man. This idea mm -hmm. of becoming an executive was so revered. You know, you had Wall Street. I think Wall Street's 87 as well. This it idea is. of the ex. Um, the exposure of executives and how they really viewed people as just numbers on a ledger, this idea of corporate America not caring about the little guy and not caring about humanity at all. All they cared about was money. This was a huge deal towards the late 80s. In the right. early 80s, it was all about it, all about it. But in the late 80s, it certainly was Or maybe well, 85 is Wall Street, I think. Um, no, I think it's it actually 87. 87. Okay. I think so, because I looked you it up. Yeah. And, and the other one, the book, The Bonfire of the Vanities, oh, comes yeah. out this year, too. Right. So, Because I think you're exactly right. It's that we had the movie movement of the 70s, and then it, it, with the Reagan Revolution, we kind of right. turned towards you know, corporate America and turned towards big business. And this is the pushback. Mm -hmm. is 86, 87, 88. That's when we push back against those things. Yeah. And this movie's definitely a part of that. Mm -hmm. We're back with Murphy and Lewis, and he's twirling his gun. Yeah. <laughs> 
And she's looking at it, and we find out that he's doing this because his kid watches some show, TJ Laser, which I can only think of TJ Hooker. <laughs> yes, of course. TJ <laughs> and the guy does this, and you know he's like, oh, role models be important. And there's a really cute little smile between the two of them. Mm-hmm. We are not going to have the traditional I hate my partner stuff. They right. like each other right from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and they get a call about a bank heist, and they jump in. He lets her drive. Mm-hmm. And now we cut to the armored car. And our bad guys in the truck. Yeah. And we get to meet Clarence Bodiger. Mm-hmm. Kurtwood Smith. The great Kurtwood Smith. His, he, the, I always forget, this is one of the great villains ever. Oh, yeah. He is brilliant and hilarious. He's an t- incredible villain. And uh, Kurtwood Smith is always great at playing these villainous characters. It's just so in his wheelhouse with that voice of his and the look. Yeah. It's so great. Which apparently he's one of the sweetest guys in the world. Yeah, we interviewed him at Collider recently. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, Christian interviewed him, I think, for one-on-one a few weeks ago. Incredibly nice guy. Very nice guy. And they realize cops are on their tail, and we got Murphy and Lewis, and Mm -hmm. Murphy takes Lewis's gun, and backup is nowhere to be found. It's like 15 minutes away, and... Our bad guys kick open that door and just start opening fire at the cop car, but no cop car. Where did he go? Because it's pulled up alongside, and there's Murphy leaning out with both guns, opening fire. Hits one guy in the leg, and Clarence immediately goes, pick up the wounded guy. Can you fly, Bobby? (laughs) And they just throw the guy out the car. This is a team of total sociopaths. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is no one in in these bad guys who has the slightest hint of any like em- emotional yeah. sensitivity at all. They're nope. all horrible, horrible people. Yeah. Uh, the guy hits the windshield. The car kind of spins out. Guys in truck are laughing. Um, and, of course, our cops, they just push that dude off the windshield, and yep. they just keep going. Yeah. And we pulled into an old steel mill. Mm-hmm. So most of the movie was shot in Dallas. This was oh. shot outside of Pittsburgh. This is a real old steel mill. Mm. And it's interesting that this is right when the Rust Belt is happening and all these steel mills are closing down. And there were apparently all these signs everywhere and graffiti. And one of them said, like, this furnace first fired up in 1898, worked continuously until being shut down in 1985. Wow. Yeah. This is a whole life that had been ruined, you know, at at this time as these big mills are shutting down. Mm -hmm. Um, And they pull into here and they call for backup. Still unavailable. Have to make a decision whether or not to go in. They decide to go in. They go in. And they Hero spl- cops. Yeah, they split up. Um, and she goes inside this place, hears some whistling, and walks up to uh, Joey, who's the African-American guy, yeah. Pete. There's some stuff about this scene and about his character that maybe not so... That's the 80s, Steve. Yeah. And we, we, they weren't as culturally sensitive as they wanted as they should have been <clears throat> yeah i mean it's a, it's like this guy does a great job yeah playing this particular role agreed which is a little bit like today you'd be like you're asking me to do what yeah you yeah. know but no disrespect to the actor yeah this is what they did so she call, tells him to turn around and put his hands up he turns around without mm-hmm. covering himself mm-hmm. there's a long pause mind if i zip this up there's eye contact. And I actually think this is a genuinely funny moment yeah. that deals with some racial stereotypes sure. in certain ways that maybe I don't love the joke so much anymore. Um, but uh, there's eye contact. She looks yeah. at him. He looks at her. And we know that she's thinking about looking down yeah. to see what he's packing. And she does, and he punches her out. And she yeah. goes off a balcony. Ah! 
Now it's time for Murphy. Yeah. Sees these two guys watching a game show, and this is the first time we see the I buy that for a dollar show, whatever the hell that is. Guy draws on him, kills one guy. And then we have Emil, who is Paul McCrane with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. He was the character I just like. He was so fascinating to me through the whole movie. Yep. And Paul McCrane went on to be on ER forever. Yep. He's a television director. He's done tons and tons and tons of stuff since then. And this is the first movie where it's like, who's that guy? And this is the only thing that I will ever know him for. Yeah. In my opinion. Really? If I ever meet him, this is the only thing I'll ever ask. Of course. For. Yeah. Yeah. He did have his arm cut off by a helicopter in, in, in ER. ER. Yeah. And. Emil's deciding whether or not to reach for that shotgun, and Murphy's response is, Go ahead and do it. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. That's a big deal. <laughs> it's an important line. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's a little cheesy. Yeah, he is. It's I think it's because he's coming from probably a more... Uh, Midwestern, yeah, small town place. Or, or a place that's more like just kind of nicer. Oh yeah, yeah. a higher end place. So he's using these supposedly bad terms or badass terms, and that are sound cheesy when they come out of his mouth. But now he's calling out to Lewis because he needs some some help. Yeah, and yells for her, and she's kind of starting to get up. Yeah, and unfortunately, two more guys show up. Uh, uh, This is uh, Leon, and I think Steve is the other guy's name, and they got guns on Murphy. Is Ray Wise? Um, Yeah, Ray Wise, man. It's an interesting cast. Yeah. Um, and then Emil says, your ass is mine, and we hear, no, not yet, and there's Clarence. Well, what have we here? You a good cop? Hot shot? <laughs> I love almost everything that comes out of his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. It's great great uh, lines. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he kind of circles around Murphy, hits him in the back of the legs with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Murphy goes down. We're asking about the partner, and that's when Joey says... The other one was upstairs. She was sweet. Mm, mm, mm. I took her out. <laughs> and I guess he thinks that he killed her. Yeah, maybe. And we realize, like, oh, he's all alone here. Mm-hmm. And Clarence says, You probably don't think I'm a very nice guy. <laughs> do you? And again, classic Murphy response is, Buddy, I think you're slime. <laughs> See, I got this problem. Cops don't like me, so I don't like cops. And now he's starting to move that shotgun barrel around. (laughs) Going to the head, the body, the arm, and finally, yeah, out to the hand. And I remember seeing that hand get blown off in the theater. It is awful. Yeah, it's shocking. It's really shocking. Then he sees he's all yours, and the guys just open fire on him. <laughs> just as they start opening fire, that's when Lewis shows up watching him through this fence. They shoot his arm off. Yeah. They they just shoot him all through the body. He's still standing, trying to get away. Finally, after lo- unloading, I don't know, 50 bullets into him, mm. they go, Clarence, he's still alive. Clarence walks up. Okay. Oh. <laughs> There's this great shot where the camera moves around his head mm-hmm. so that Clarence is in the background, and then he hits him in a headshot, mm-hmm. and he goes down. Yeah. And that's a puppet, I think, by the way, oh, for his head. Yeah. I'm surprised. Um, and the bad guys walk out laughing, and Lewis walks up and sees him, and his 
eyes are wide open and he seems dead. Yeah. Cut to a helicopter unloading the body and we get these uh, uh, medical personnel rushing him to the OR. Those are just real Dallas uh, ER folk. Oh, wow. And they just had him. This is all improv. Mm -hmm. They just said, do what you do. Do, Say the stuff that you say. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really effective. Yep. Okay, everybody clear. Stand clear. And we go to black. Yeah. Long, long black. And then there's static and distortion. And you see a guy walk up and he kind of rotates a lens. And you're going, what's happening here? And then it goes to black. And we hear, ah, shit. Goes to static. Goes to black. And now, we again, the image comes up. We say, bring in the LED. Lock it down. So we get like a grid like kind of screwed into yeah. place. Uh, this is all, by the way, shot 35 with... Um, uh, and they just put this gradient in later. Cool. All the news and media stuff was shot on video. Mm -hmm. So it looks different. And now again, we have a new image. Uh, and we go, oh, he's on. He's watching us. And in comes Bob. And the guys are really excited because they were able to save his arm. What? I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Now lose the arm, okay? Jesus, Morton. And then we get this discussion of what do we think? Should we lose the arm? Well, he signed the release forms and he joined the force. He's legally dead. We can do pretty much what we want to lose the arm. Wow. And this is probably a release form that they all had to sign. All the cops did. Probably didn't even yep. look at the fine print. Yep. It just meant that I could keep working my job. Well, the lack of humanity shown by these corporate guys mm -hmm. is crazy. It's astounding. Yeah. And yet, I, I don't think people show it in this totally personal way. Right. But- this is real. Yep. I totally think that in terms of, you know, soldiers fighting in wars oh, and yeah. yeah, I mean, this is how mm -hmm. we think. It's not a coincidence that for decades in this country, we can't figure out how to fix the VA. The hidden ugly truth is they don't want to put money towards the VA because they see it as a waste of money, sunk cost, and soldiers suffer because they don't uh, uh, supervise these things more vigilantly. Yep. It should be treated like the richest hospital on the planet, every single VA. You should have the best doctors. These are men and women that go and fight for our country. And the fact that they, uh, decades and decades, being able to fix it, it just tells you, that, you know, that when the money doesn't go to a good place, it's because they don't think it's that valuable. That's well, the honest truth. Face it. I think it's it's fundamentally human that the more isolated you become by money or power, the less yeah. connected you are of course. to the humanity of all the people that are yeah. serving under you. Nothing beats that and nothing exemplifies that more than George Bush trying to buy milk in the in the uh, grocery store. If you haven't read that story, go and find that story. George Herbert Walker Bush trying to buy milk and not understanding how much it costs. Not even knowing what a gallon of milk costs. He's so rich. Uh, so comes back on again, and we hear more about his titanium-covered Kevlar, whatever, body armor. Yeah. We see the handshake with the arm, which is 400 foot-pounds. <laughs> um, now we go to a New Year's Eve party. A lot of this is, by the way, just improv. Oh, wow. The New Year's Eve party definitely is. And we got a bunch of people smiling and yelling Happy New Year with some silly hats. And the main woman we've been dealing with bends down, gives him a big sloppy kiss on the lens or whatever, <laughs> and then falls on her ass. Yeah. The fall, apparently, real accident. Now the image pops up again. It's obscured by plastic. Bob's making a speech. It is my great pleasure to present to you Robocop. And he moves the plastic. Robo gets up. In our, we're always in this POV shot. Yeah. 
And Pop's really excited. Come on, that's for you. That's for you. And the very first glimpse we get is that the POV walks by a video monitor that's shooting him. We get a tiny, tiny glimpse of what yeah. Robo looks like. And again, this is this thing we talked about with the dinosaurs, with all sorts of stuff is with Superman, with withhold the character. Right. You know, create anticipation around seeing Robocop. Absolutely. Pulling up to the police station, a bunch of vans and a truck, and we're inside the police station and the cops look up, the doors open, and we hear the footsteps. And we see the reactions of the cops. Yeah. And Sergeant Reed is kind of arguing or like, no, this is OCP. This is OCP business. You have to do what we say. Right. Um, and we see Robo now through this distorted glass. And then we see him from behind and walk away. And all the cops go, holy shit, <laughs> and start chasing after him. We go back down into like the basement somewhere for Robo, Robo's room. And again, we're kind of seeing things from behind the fence. And finally, we see Robocop. Yeah. It's a, it's a great build to an introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing a few more tests. They like give me a grid and they're doing a targeting test and they're doing voice tests and they ask him, so what are your directives? And he says, serve the public trust, protect the innocent, uphold the law. And as he says this, we see each of these three points come up on the little heads up display in his POV shot. And then we see a fourth directive pop up and it says classified, which we'll find out later. Yeah. What that is. We also hear that he eats baby food. Yes. Um, down on the shooting range, we go down the row of cops that are all shooting their guns. We get all the way down to Lewis, and then we hear a really, really big gun. And there's Robo at the end of the range, which is huge. Yeah. I don't know how there's enough bullets to keep firing that gun. Um, I, we, I, remember, I remember geekily with my friends going, maybe he has uh, ammo that's in his arm. Oh, yeah. That's like loading up into the gun. On this is the kind of thing that twenty-year-old geeks <laughs> would talk about. Uh, and Bob, while he's firing this gun and wiping out the target, is screaming and laughing. Yeah, I think Bob gets a hard on for power. Oh yeah, of course. That is what he likes, yep. and he is using not only just like the corporate power and the drug power and power over women, but he also likes just the violent power that he thinks he controls through Robocop. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what turns him on. Mm-hmm. And as and Lewis is watching him and as he puts away that big huge gun, what does he do? He spins it. Yeah. Little spin. Little things that indicate he's still who he is. No matter what you put around him, his brain is still who he is, which we'll see coming down the road. And and like like you said Steve the uh seeing him in the in the silhouette or in the in the reflection quickly blah blah blah. Those are those little things, uh, but also these moments of little things as well that show what's going to happen later on in a big way when that reveal is uh, is shown to us as well. Because right now, we're seeing a POV shot. We assume it's Peter Weller, but right. we don't 100% know it's Peter Right. Weller. That's a great point. Well, and the thing, too, is they said during this uh, these little flashes that they were going to erase his memory. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't want to put too hard a thing on it, but one of the things this movie is about is... Do we have a soul? Yeah. Like, is this guy, is he still Murphy? What right. is the what is the nature of being a, who he is? Yeah. Because that's going to get into, like, where we're going to go is, who is this creature at yeah. this moment? Yeah. At this moment, he's just RoboCop, mm-hmm. and it's time for him to go out on his first mission. He asked for some keys. Sergeant Reed throws him the keys. Apparently, that took a lot of takes, because... Peter Weller couldn't catch those keys with well, those big, huge gloves of with course. you know limited vision. Oh, and one other thing I said, I, I hinted at it before. So he had done all this practice 
on how he's going to move. Yeah. First time he puts on the suit, it took 11 hours to get the suit on. Holy shit. Yeah. 11 hours. Then you had to go work a day. Wow. So he's so 11 hours to put it on. As soon as he puts it on, nothing he practiced worked. Oh. Because where the joints were, where the barrier, he yeah. couldn't do any of it. Right. And so he had basically a full panic attack, wow. it sounds like. And they shut down shooting for a whole day to, to figure out, A, how can we get this suit on faster? It can't right, take right. 11 hours. Yeah. And B, how is he going to move? And they developed a whole new set of movements for him. Yeah. All right. We're off on our first mission. Robocop's driving. Gets in a, a call. Uh, we cut to that. Uh, I'd buy that for a dollar show. <laughs> and we're in some kind of, you know, liquor store. Yeah. Guy in trench coat walks up. We ought, we know what's going to mm-hmm. happen here. He pulls out his gun, says, give me all the money. Give me the money in the safe. They're kind of panicked. The woman is pushing the button yeah. for security. And in walks Robocop. Drop the gun. You are under arrest. And then just repeats fuck me over and over and over again as he opens fire at Robocop. And this is where we see he's pretty darn bulletproof. Yeah. He walks up, bends the gun. Yeah. Guy tries to run away. He gives him some massive clothesline, smashes him into the freezers, then says, Thank you for your cooperation. Good night. And we flat- walks on out. Walks on out. Yeah. We hear, I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> um, he doesn't get arrested. The guy doesn't get arrested or anything. He's just there. Robo, R- Robo's got a powerful and sudden way of doing his his cop business. Uh, he's driving some more. We hear about a 415 in progress, and we cut to the yeah. woman being chased yeah. by two horrible thugs. Yeah. It's the classic cliche. They are scary and awful. And then he walks up. Let the woman go. You are under arrest. They grab the girl, knife to the throat. And we see, we've already seen this targeting system in his POV. Yeah. We see the target move from the guy's head to a space on the woman's dress between her legs. Mm-hmm. Targets, lowers the gun, fires. Guy goes down with a bloody crotch. Yep. Your move, creep. <laughs> the other guy surrenders. And then there's this moment where she's so grateful. Yeah. And she runs up to Robo saying, thank you, thank you. And he says, Madam, you have suffered an emotional shock. I will notify a rape crisis center. No emotion there. No. No no comfort. Well, what's funny, and she has a reaction to it. Yeah. What's funny about this scene, and the previous one too, I think, is that it's funny. Right. In a dark black way. Yeah. Like, the, and we've talked about this throughout the cinephiles, is that violence is treated differently in different movies. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to describe why. Is that somehow, like if we watch the end of Bonnie and Clyde, where they get riddled with thousands of bullets. Sure. We would be upset. Mm-hmm. When you watch that scene with the Ed 209 and that guy gets riddled with thousands of bullets, that's actually kind of funny, mm-hmm. even though it's sick. And this guy getting shot in the crotch, you know, it seems justified. Yeah. And you go, and then her having this, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, and him not having a reaction. It's a weird movie. Yeah. Because your feelings about what's happening is strange. Yeah. Well, you feel sympathy. No question for him. I mean, I, I oh for him. Yeah, yeah me uh, watching it this time around. I felt a lot of sympathy for him uh, because he's stuck in this body and he's using the tools that he has. But just because you can be a great cop, the one piece that's missing is the empathy for the victims. Right. Absolutely. Um, drives up to a hostage crisis. There's a lot of cops running a building. Mm-hmm. And we hear policemen talking to, or, or news reporters talking about terrorism, and we know that there's a guy holding the mayor hostage. Yeah. So it was interesting. 
the writer, because I had this thought in watching it and didn't realize this is actually what's going on. Is the writer grew up in San Francisco, and oh. he was a lot was around as I was during the Mayor Moscone right. Harvey Milk assassination, yeah. and so this is what he was thinking about when he wrote the scene. Wow. Now this is obviously treated in a very right, very silly right, way right. because as Robo goes in and all the all the news the reporters are like focused on him. Yeah. And by the way, when he pulls up in the car and gets out, no pants. <laughs> because it's so hard he couldn't get out of a car with the lower pants on it took so long to put them on that they're just anytime they're shooting him from yeah. chest up yeah probably doesn't have pants on <laughs> anyway he he tells the swat guy or whatever you know keep him talking and then we hear this negotiation which is hilarious i want some fresh coffee and third i want a recount and no matter how it turns out i want my old job back <laughs> and i want a new car and I want the city to pay for it all! What kind of car, Miller? Something with reclining leather seats that goes really fast and gets really shitty gas mileage! How about the, uh, 6,000 SUX? Yeah! Okay, sure! How topical is this now, Steve? <laughs> yeah. When you hear some of these politicians talk about when these recounts that are happening oh, recently, geez. you hear their frustration and they try to vilify the other side because they want to have because the other side wants to have a recount to have accurate representation of votes. These are people who are desperate to hold on to their jobs. They're really one moment away from doing what this guy Jesus. does in the movie. Yeah, um, they really are. Um, and I love people the like thing, power, man. I love the the car. They say, "Oh, well, how about the six thousand SUX? The six thousand sucks." Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and this because because this is. Right when American cars are getting killed by Japanese cars, yep. and you know the U.S. is still putting out these huge gas guzzlers. Yeah, yeah, really funny. <laughs> what about cruise control? Does it come with cruise control? Hey, no problem, Miller. Let the mayor go. We'll even throw in a blob pump. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at this point, Robo's kind of going by them. We see sort of the thermal uh, imaging that's through the wall. Mm -hmm. And the guy, the guy gets pissed off, brings the mayor to the window, is about to shoot him, and Robo's hands burst through the wall, grab him, and then punch him through the window. And the cameras of all the news reporters go down on him yeah. just as he hits the ground. Yeah. And we cut to a news report. Robocop. Who is he? What is he? Where does he come from? And then we have footage of Robocop with a bunch of school kids. Yeah, school kids. And they say, what's your advice to all these kids? Stay out of trouble. And it's funny, these first three things Robo does, the... Uh, the stopping the robbery, saving the woman from being raped, and rescuing the hostages. I think this is like Christopher Reeve in Superman, the first three missions oh. of the helicopter, right. cat in the tree, you know, stopping the robberies. It's that we're in classic superhero form in a right. way right. of introducing our new superhero character. There's a new guy in town. His name's Robocop. <laughs> I saw something. Uh, one of the quotes I saw about this movie that I liked is that this movie is fascism for liberals. Yeah. You know, is that it's anti-corporate, it's anti-military, it's mm -hmm. anti-like big political structure, but it's also a guy going around just kicking the shit out of people. You know, it's it's very, you know, there's some mix. And, and it's funny, too, because, again, this relates to Dark Knight. Yeah. Is that Dark Knight's doing exactly the same thing, mm -hmm. is that essentially the Batman character in Dark Knight is a fascist. Yeah. But he's kicking ass. At, it's also mocking all the sort of uh, conservative uh, business. You mean stuff. Dark Knight Returns? Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. I, it's just Dark Knight in my brain. Yeah. Um, okay, and we cut from the the news to another commercial where we have uh, Nukem, <laughs> this game <laughs> between this family of nuclear war. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, back to OCD headquarters, Bob's been promoted. He's now a vice president. He's dating models. He's got a key to the executive washroom. They move into the washroom. We have this camera shot, for, which I've never seen in any other movie ever, which is in the stall, past the ankles with the pants pulled down, up through that to a urinal where two guys are peeing and talking about Dick Jones. Yeah, man. His face, he's lost his teeth. The guy's a pussy. You're talking about the same Dick Jones? Hey, he's old, we're young, and that's life. (laughs) And we see those pants get pulled up, and the door of the stall open, and we see the reaction of all the other guys in that washroom. They rush out, including the guy he's talking to, who not only rushes out, but rushes, basically pees his pants yeah. on the way out. And who who was in that stall? Dick, Dick Jones. Jones. Yep. Congratulations, Bob. Thanks. I remember when I was a young executive for this company. I used to call the old man funny names. Iron Butt. Boner. Once I even called him asshole and then he moves in on him but there was always respect i always knew where the line was drawn and you just stepped over it buddy boy i had a guaranteed military sale with ed 209 renovation program spare parts for 25 years who cares if it worked or not that's the key line right there who cares if it worked or not Mm -hmm. to which bob's response is the old man thought it was pretty important. Dick. And then he grabs him by the hair. You just fucked with the wrong guy. Your fucking mind. He rips away from him. Yeah. Adjusts his tie and shit. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's it's a, and it's funny. And then Dick Jones walks out. Yeah. And clearly Bob is shook. Yeah. Because Dick Jones is scary. Yeah. In a way that Bob is not scary. And everybody warned him, don't fuck with Jones. Yes. Yeah. Because they've probably seen this yeah. other side of him. Yeah. Yeah. We're back in Robo's room. He's kind of sitting in the chair asleep and they're checking some readouts and stuff. And then we see a hand twitch. And a little, there's like a paper coming out, like at a EKG kind of thing. And there's a little blip. Um, and then we see the flashback of Clarence firing. And there's another huge spike on the readout. And then images of Clarence almost kind of come in on the monitor, which yeah. I think is a really cool choice. Um, then they start to notice it as those, these readings just go crazy. And Robo stands up, and the readouts go absolutely crazy. And then Clarence aims at his head, in the flashback fires, and everything goes still. Yeah, Really, really great build. You remember, sense memory, right? Everything comes back. Well, this- it's like, it's like uh, uh, amnesia. People talk about amnesia. Everything comes back when they finally get their memory back, like in a flood of stuff. And well, this is kind of what it feels like. Well, and this is—I think there's just flashes of something. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't think Robo knows what's going no, on, no, no. not at all. But he gets up and he's heading out. They're trying to stop him. Yeah, there's no stopping them. And they—they they get on the phone like, "We got to call Bob. We got a problem." Um, and they look at this readout with all this crazy stuff on on it. Yeah. Um, and Robo walks down the hall, and who does he run into? But Lewis. Uh, hello. I haven't really had a chance to introduce myself. I'm Ann Lewis. Do you have a name? And there's eye contact. How can I help you, Officer Lewis? And then she says, Murphy, it's you. And he steps back. Shook. Yeah. You know? Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. (laughs) I love RoboCop. (laughs) Um... 
and, and then all the texts run out and like freaked out. What did you say to him? What did yeah. you say to him? And Bob comes in. He's yelling at Sergeant Reed. He's he's yelling at Lewis. And she says, I just asked him his name. And his response is, let me make it real clear for you. He doesn't have a name. He's got a program. He's product. I love that phrase. He's product. Mm -hmm. Because, again, yes, I don't think this is a deep movie in this. But it is. Does this guy have a soul? Is yeah. he a human? Does he have, you know, or is he just product? Well, and also when you look beyond that line, that's how a lot of people see consumers. Uh, sure. A product in that they can't, that's why you have the, yeah. Google, the Amazon, you look up one thing on Amazon, all of a sudden it pops as a pop ads and all these other websites you go to. Sometimes when people talk about like the, the, the uh, cameras on the computers, they hear your conversation sometimes in the rooms. And then all of a sudden these things you talked about, which you never looked up on the computer, all of a sudden pop up as pop ads for you to buy or take a look at or explore. And it's unsettling. And that cause that's cause corporations see humans as essentially product to buy their products. <laughs> Well, manipulate. This is a great point because I'll take it a step farther, which is for companies like Facebook, Google, and Twitter. Yeah, we are the product. Yes, absolutely. That is what that is the product. The mm -hmm. product is, for Google, the product, and Facebook. Mm -hmm. How many people of us can we deliver to advertisers? How can they deliver the product? Yep. Oh, that's and wow, I hadn't thought about that. So, motorcycle pulls into a gas station, and Emil Paul McCrane comes up with a machine gun. I love he looks in this poor guy who's like doing <laughs> geometry or something, and he says, Give me all your money, bookworm, or I blow your brains out. Now, fill it up on number seven. Uh, and he goes out laughing, grabs the pump, Robo rolls up, get out, gets out of the car, gun drawn, says, Drop it, and then says, Dead or alive, you are coming with me. Which is the line he said to Emil before. Yeah, and Emil goes nuts. He goes, I know you. We killed you. Yeah. We killed you! And then shoots him, and, and nothing happens to Robocop. Well, and, and Robo shook. Yeah. And we see, by the way, one of the things we see when he says, we killed you, is it's recording. Yep. Is he's recording this. And he doesn't do anything. And he you know he gets shot, and the, and the gas hose gets hit, so now there's gas going everywhere. Yeah. And Emil gets on his bike, and he's re and while, while this is happening, Robo is replaying, you're dead. Yeah. We killed you. You're dead! We killed you! And Emil throws the cigarette down at the gas, there's a huge, huge explosion as he rides away, and Robo comes out of the big fire, yeah. opening fire, um, and uh, Emil crashes, and he walks. Robo walks up, and now we have that big Robocop music. And Robocop grabs him and goes, Who are you? Uh, Who are you? And Emil is out. This is the turn, I think. Between Murphy, it's you with Lewis, and this moment of you're dead, we killed you. This right. is the turn. It's a rebirth, in essence. The fire coming the out beginning, of the fire. The beginning, yeah. Yep. The beginning of the rebirth. Uh, Robo's POV going into this computer lab, and cops ask if they can help him, and he's looking around. And they're kind of saying, hey, this is restricted. You can't enter here. And he holds up his hand, and this big spike comes out of his fist. <laughs> and they back up, and we're going like, holy shit. What yeah. is he going to Is he going to kill them? But no, apparently that's just the computer interface. Right. And he pushes in, and we go to a photo ID system, which actually is kind of how this stuff works today. Yeah. Um, where they're cycling through sort of the facial parts until they finally find Emil Afanoski. Um, it scans for loans accomplishments. We go through some of the other guys, and then we see Clarence Bodiger. Yep. And they go through the list of crimes. Person killed, cop killed, cop killed, until you get down to the name Murphy. Yeah. And he hears in his head, Murphy, yeah. it's you. Murphy, it's you. Then he brings up the face of Murphy. 
and the music rises as he looks at himself, and we see that he is that the word deceased, deceased. comes on the screen. Yeah. And there's also an address to his house. Mm-hmm. One thing that we should say that I didn't say before is during the uh, after he was shot. In addition to the images of Clarence and of him getting shot, are the images of a kid watching T.J. Laser. Can you do that, Dad? And a woman coming for him and saying, "I really have to tell you something." Yeah. Which we assume is his wife and kid. Yeah, and that's important because now he's going to drive to his old house. Right. And we see his POV as we come in. We walk into the house, which is now for sale. And there's this weird kiosk with this virtual realtor saying, welcome to your new home. <laughs> and he walks through. And as we're walking through, we start. We continue to hear his voice. And then that image fades from this empty house to this house where it's full. And we see the kid in front of the TV. Yeah, It's a great scene. Yep. It's a really, really well done scene as he walks through. He sees. It's all visceral. Yeah. He sees this mess on the counter, including a partially destroyed photograph of him and his family. Yeah. Um, why did the realtors leave all this mess? <laughs> That's not what realtors do. For dramatic effect. Of course. And then he goes upstairs, and then we walk into a room, and we see that woman come towards him and say, I really have to tell you something. I love you. And then it all fades out. And he punches that kiosk. I... What's so great about this movie is we don't know what's going on in his head. Right. We really did. Like, how much is he remembering? Mm-hmm. Like, how much is he figuring out? Yeah. And now we're into the next part of the movie, which is it ceased to be, I am a cop solving crimes. Now it is personal. Yeah. And we end up at a club and we see a screen that says arrest mode and he's moving through the crowd, which is having big reactions to him. And we find Ray Wise, uh, who draws a, draws a gun. He knocks it away. Some dude just catches the gun and keeps dancing. Then Ray's next choice is to kick him in the balls. Right. Big clang of a gong. There is a very quick shot right after this of an unbelievably crazy dancer dancing. Yeah. And that is Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> He's on screen for like two seconds. Maybe. This Hitchcock moment. Yep. And he drags uh, he drags Leon out. That's uh, Ray Wise out by the hair. Mm-hmm. And we cut to some models snorting some coke. Full 80s now. Yep. And they are fawning over the corporate, brilliant, uh, rich dude, Bob. Bob. There's some snorting some coke off of some breasts. Yeah, sure. As you do. And just as we're going to start going a little further with these two women, the doorbell rings. Mm -hmm. Probably the champagne. Sure. Walks over (laughs) and in walks Clarence Bodiger. Yeah, man. Uh, By himself. By himself. no backup. And his line is, Bitches leave. (laughs) Ah, the 80s. And then she turns around, you'll call me, right? As if like this is not a life-threatening situation. Well, in general, you don't think things are life-threatening situations. Well, when a gun's pulled out on a guy's face. Yeah, it's it's true. And after the the women leave, he shoots him in the leg and then shoots him again and again. So he's got four shots in the leg. Bob is on the ground. Yeah. And then he walks over and pulls out what looks like a DVD, which, by the way, there were no, no DVDs in 1987. <laughs> oh, um, interesting. Um, I mean, there were video CDs, wow. so maybe they thought that, but yeah, but that was going to be the video format for 20, 30 years. Um, and there's Dick Jones saying, hello, buddy boy. I guess you're on your knees about now, begging for your life. Pathetic. You don't feel so cocky now, do you, buddy? Whatever he's paying you, I'll double it right now. And Clarence pulls a pin out of a grenade and leaves it on a table. Um, and Dick Jones, as Clarence walks out, says, It helps if you think of it as a game, Bob. Every game has a winner 
and a loser. Bob reaches for that grenade. Is he going to get there in time? Nope. Clarence walks out as the building blows up. We cut to a drug lab. A lot of drugs, man. This is, yeah. a, this is a serious operation. And Clarence comes in, and we have a whole scene where he's trying to negotiate a volume discount with this guy. And again, you see uh, Kurtwood Smith's just yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, like the little fingers in the wine glass and, and mm-hmm. kind of snorting it. And all the guns come out. And he goes, guns, guns, guns. <laughs> <laughs> he's Which is improv, by the way. A, a lot of the Kurtwood Smith stuff is improv. Man, a lot of the best stuff. It tells you even more how good of an actor he is. Oh, he's so good. And he kind of pounds the tables. Come on, let's make a deal. Tiger game tonight. Yeah. Uh, and then, boom. big. They have like a castle door yeah. <laughs> that gets banged on, banged on, banged on. And then in comes RoboCop. Yeah, man. And everyone opens fire on him. Fuck you. Yeah. I love RoboCop's move is just to kind of stand there and get shot. Of course. It doesn't move very fast. It doesn't mean anything to him. Yeah, it does no diving for cover or anything. Gets shot for a while, and then you see his targeting system come on and target each of the person, and he just starts wiping them out. Yep. Yep. Uh, until finally, all there's left is Clarence, who he grabs. Clarence Bodiger, <laughs> you are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Clarence spits blood in his face, and Robo throws him through some glass. Yeah. Uh, and Clarence starts yelling about being protected. Yeah. Wait a minute! I'm protected, man. I've got protection. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? Dick Jones. Yep, and he gives it up. There's another guy. He's a he's OCP. He's the senior president. Anything you say may be used against you. It's Dick Jones. This cocky guy who had been banging the table, talking to guns, thinking he's swaggering through. Robocop throws him through a few plate glass windows, and all of a sudden, this guy's squealing like a canary. To be clear, every time I've been thrown through multiple plate glass windows, I also squeal like a canary. Well, you should, but maybe don't start off being a jerk-off, trying to pretend like you're some kind of badass. I thought thought being badass crime lord was going to be my next career after the (laughs) cinephiles folds. There you go. But I guess maybe you've talked me out of it. Well, listen. I think you show who you are in those down moments, and I love, uh, or in those tough moments. And I love that Jose Ferrer is crying like a little baby. Yeah, uh, and uh, Kurt Smith gets exposed as well. It's yeah. great. That's that's those are fair points. Mm. And then he starts choking him. Robo yeah. starts choking Clarence. You're a gum. And then we see Director Three pop up, and it says, "Hold the law." And Robo says, "Yes, I am a cop." And it goes back to blinking arrest mode. Mm-hmm. Back to the police station. But there's still arguments about a strike. Yeah. Um, and Robo walks in with Clarence and says, Book him. What's the charge? He's a cop killer. And Lewis goes over to Robo and Clarence spits blood on the paper and says, Just give me my fucking phone call. <laughs> um, and then we're heading towards OCP with a very good 80s matte painting. And yep. Robo is driving up to OCP. And Dick Jones is on the phone, obviously, with Clarence saying, I'll get you out in 24 hours. Yeah. But you really screwed up. Robo pulls into the OCP garage, goes in the elevator, goes up the elevator. Um, we're in his POV as he walks in. And as he's walking, we're watching the playback of Clarence saying he works for Dick Jones. Yeah. Um, walks into Dick Jones's office, and Dick Jones is perfectly comfortable, <laughs> smiling. Come in, officer. You know I don't usually see anyone without an appointment, but in your case, I'll make an exception. You are under arrest. Oh, on what charge? Aiding and abetting a known felon. Sounds like I'm in a lot of trouble. Dick Jones stands up. You better take me in. I will. Starts to walk towards him. Yeah. Glitches. Glitch. It freezes. Freezes. 
And there's Directive 4. It pops up. What's the matter, officer? I'll tell you what's the matter. It's a little insurance policy called Directive 4. My little contribution to your psychological profile. Any attempt to arrest a senior officer of OCP results in shutdown. What did you think? That you were an ordinary police officer? You're our product. And we can't very well have our products turning against us, can we? And he's fighting it. Mm-hmm. He's fighting it. He draws his gun. He tries to get up. And this is, by the way, this is one of those scenes where this could have been just horrible. Yeah. Because this is like the worst of Captain Kirk in Star Trek, where he's yeah. got the pain collar on or something like that, right. having to act. And yet, because of the intercutting and the POV shots and the static and the sound design, I think it works great. It's also symbolic about how what the limits of power really are for police versus people sure. in power who are rich and how they can short circuit what you think is right and wrong in this situation and stop you from yep. being able to arrest them. Well, that boy, man, you mm-hmm. just said a lot. It's all there. Well, because, I mean, you know, how many situations can you see where someone sticks up a liquor store for 50 bucks and they get 10 years in prison? Right. And someone robs, you know, old people of their pensions. Of millions and millions of dollars and they get nothing. Yeah. They get suspended. Yep. That's a great, great point, man. Um, and he's still continuing to fight. It's, so, oh, you, you want to fight? Well, why don't you meet a friend of mine? And in comes Ed 209. Yeah. And as Ed 209 comes in, Dick Jones, in very foolish bad guy choice, says, I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. And Ed advances and opens fire and blasts RoboCop through the door. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Dick is watching, enjoying this. I think, you know, like you're just going to have your whole corporate headquarters blown up by this. (laughs) But okay. Um, And he gets shot again. And. Uh, RoboCop looks up and we see that his helmet is cracked. Yeah. And it's a great shot of his eye. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important moment mm-hmm. um, and very difficult to get it just right. And that's where he starts to fight back. He actually rips an arm off yeah. of Ed 209, but there's still rocket launchers coming at him and he's in deep trouble. He goes into the stairwell, goes down the stairs. Ed 209 comes into the stairwell. He can't walk on stairs. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> great, like, sort of put the foot forward, yeah. trying to navigate it, figure it out. Finally take a step. I think I got it. And then go tumbling down the stairs and then just looking like a, a turtle trapped on his back for a while. Um, so I think we've gotten away. I think we're going to be okay. He gets down the stairs, opens up the door, goes into the garage, and he's surrounded by 10 million cops. Yeah. And I don't believe this moment. Okay. Because I don't believe the cops would open fire on their own. These are all the cops that were just about to strike. Right. They hate OCP. Yes. Now they've been called into OCP mm-hmm. to go after kind of one of their own. It just seems really weird. But don't you think he symbolizes the event- inevitable replacement of all of them? Maybe. Especially as they're about to strike. I don't think that's pl- planted well. Oh, that's fair. I think yeah. that's a fair criticism. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. Yeah. That's probably. What, but the scene of them firing on him is yeah. really sad. Yeah. Like it's emotional. Because he feels like he's one of them. What do you think they're saying, though? What do you think Verhoeven is saying with this? Because they're shooting uh, Peter Weller or Murphy the same way the bad guy shot Murphy earlier in the movie. Absolutely. With no (sighs) restraint. Well, let's be really clear. The the cops, we we haven't had a lot of due process. Nope. 
We're not shooting. throughout this whole movie. This I mean, it's like we just go in everywhere, guns blazing. Yeah. A guy gets thrown on the windshield, we just toss him off. Yep. Like there is not a lot of emotional humanity or sense of uh, uh, justice and innocent mm-hmm. until proved. That's not what this movie's about. Nope. That's why this is like fascist movie for liberals. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. You're totally right. So they open fire on him. He goes down. He kind of. And, and we're hearing like the music rise. Yeah. Um. And he's crawling away, just foot by foot, while being open fire on. He gets. Drops down to like another level of the garage and another level, and there is Lewis. Lewis yeah. Murphy! Murphy, it's me. And she helps him into the car and she, as she drives away, and the cops are open firing on her. Yep. And we get to the weirdest cut in the movie, which is a weird stop motion dinosaur. <laughs> and and that is an ad for the 6000 SUX, mm-hmm. an American tradition, 8.2 miles per gallon. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, there still are probably there, vehicles that still go oh, yeah. 8.2. That Bugatti, I think, only goes like 20 miles per gallon or 15 miles per gallon. It's insane. But it goes there very fast. It, well, yeah, and beautifully. Um, and we hear a news report, which is just weird right now for what's going on, mm-hmm. of 6,000 acres of Santa Barbara scorched in an instant. Mm. And it's just there's these huge fires right near us right now. So it's mm-hmm. just a weird thing to, to see. And apparently two presidents got killed in this news report. Um, but we don't really care about that. And we hear more that this strike might be happening tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to two people in the street. And one person is the sort of more conservative person says they shouldn't strike. They're public servants. They can't strike. Right. And then they cut to might be the greatest stoner guy <laughs> in all of movies. And I will just cut to what he says. It's a free society. Except there ain't nothing free because there's no guarantees, you know. <laughs> You're on your own. There's <laughs> a lot of jungle. <laughs> but, but what does this mean, right? What is, what is Verhoeven doing again? He is making fun of... The news program, right? The news uh, cycle, the news programs, they go and interview the worst people right. to show for ratings, for The most extreme people yeah, on both most sides. most extreme, yeah. Well, this is why I say, I bet they read Dark Knight Returns, because this is the oh, thing that happens very... throughout Dark Knight Returns. Yes, agreed, brother. Yeah. Agreed. It's all through it. And now OCP is kind of cleaning everything up, and in walks Clarence Bodiger, looking very slick in his yep. sort of 80s outfit, Yep. Uh, kind of aggressively flirts with the receptionist, who is Kurtwood Smith's wife. Oh, how funny. Um, and walks in. And this is what's really interesting. In the original script, Dick Jones and Clarence Bodiger never met. They had nothing to do with each other. Oh, wow. There were just two separate bad guys. There was a crime bad guy and a business bad guy. Oh. And it was a studio note. I know I bitch about studio stuff sometimes, yeah. but a studio note said, you have to link these two guys together. And of course, it's brilliant. Yep. That is totally... And they come in and we've, we... We, we kind of see the little tension between the two of them, between the fact that he gave him up mm-hmm. to the cop and that and, and him going, look, look, the guy went after me. Yeah. And then we get to this idea where Dick Jones is like, listen. But Delta City begins construction in two months. That's two million workers living in trailers. That means drugs, gambling, prostitution, virgin territory for the man who knows how to open up new markets. One man could control it all. Clarence. Well, I guess we're going to be friends after all, Richard. <laughs> and they say, but we got to take out Robocop first. And Clarence asks, well, do you have any military level hardware? Mm-hmm. And Dick Jones's response is, we practically are the military. I was just listening to a new um, report on 
that just came out about uh, U.S. military preparedness to fight in wars against China and yeah. Russia, uh, we might be into a whole other wave of new military spending. Yep. Huge, huge. Yeah, the report business. came out saying that we didn't spend enough. Yep. That's scary, man. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's like there are a lot of big businesses that are going, yeah, let's spend more money. Of course, because it puts people at work, too. Remember? War employs a lot of people. It does. Uh, we're back at the old steel mill. Mm-hmm. I'm very. It's very strange to me that Lewis would bring him here. Yeah, <laughs> of all places, uh, remembrances and of everything. Where, yeah, and of course the reason is is they had one great location. Yeah, <laughs> let's use it twice. <laughs> and she comes back with a bag. She's got his. She's got his gun, and she's got a drill. And we also hear that hey, almost half the force is on is gone already, and they're right. probably everyone's going on strike at midnight. And she brought some baby food. And he's more interested in the drill. He drills into his head, one side, then the other side. And there's a slow build to as he pulls off that helmet. And she grabs a mirror. Yeah. And we finally see his face sort of in the distorted mirror. Yeah. It's a really lovely moment. Yeah. And it's funny, when they did auditions, uh, one of the people that came in, I think, is Armando Sante oh. to play uh, Murphy. And when he did this scene in the audition, he freaked out, screaming, grabbing his you know, pulling his hair out, just crying and weeping. Um, and uh, needless to say, he didn't get the part. And Paul Verhoeven on Nancy Allen and Peter Weller was like, less, less, mm-hmm. less. And I think that's totally the right choice. And it makes sense for Armando Sante. Yeah, it totally, of course it does. <laughs> um, He's a big actor. And then he asks, "I Mur- he says, Murphy had a wife and son. He didn't say I had a wife and son. Yeah. He said, Murphy had a wife and son. What happened to them? And I really like the way this is handled, which is we don't go into it that much. Nope. They moved away. She thought you were dead. She started another life. Yeah. Which I think we can assume means that she got married and right because we actually have no idea how much time. That's passed. what I'm saying. I think a lot of time has passed. Yeah. If the wife has moved on already, gotten married already, blah blah blah. It, a lot of time has passed. Although they still didn't clean up that mess in the house. Yeah. Well, you know. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I think so too. I think a lot of time has passed. Mm-hmm. And and he has this great great line where he says. I can feel them, but I can't remember them. I don't know what that means exactly, because I'm. how could you know what that experience is? Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also that he now is and is not Murphy. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have all of Murphy's memories. Well, that's the thing. We, we think it's going to go one way, which is his, all his members going to come back. He's going to get back together with his wife, which is what happened in the remake. Right. Uh, which I didn't was not a fan of. It's horrible. And, uh, but in this, it's more open ended. And you're, what you say, Steve, is a very good point. He can feel them, but he can't remember them. Right. Why is that? Oh, because the last memories he has are just these memories. Therefore, he doesn't have an extended level no. of amount of memories to remember them by from the beginning <laughs> to the end and what have you. He just has these two memories uh, for his kid and for his wife. So that's what he he remembers. That he loved them, he and logically, but how much of his body, how much of his heart, how much of that is still in his, in his body? That's what I'm wondering about. What is he being kept alive by? If it's just brain, then that makes sense, right? Because a lot of us sense that we feel love in our actual physical area of our heart versus our brain. What does that tell you? It's it's just interesting. Well, from my perspective, it's all brain. Yeah, but um, you would think that. 
I would. Yeah. Um, well, because it's sort of scientifically it's proven. Whatever. Um, but but we have what what's interesting is like we have different sections of our brain that do different jobs, and yes. our emotions are happening in different places from our memories. In mm-hmm. fact, our memories are stored in a bunch of different little places. Yeah. And so it's and again, this is more geeky than the movie is, I think. But they said we're erasing his memories, so they might have just erased one area. Yeah, yeah. But there's a whole bunch of other areas mm-hmm. that they didn't, you know, because the brain is the most literally believed to be the most complicated thing in the universe that we know of and so there could be all these you know like you know you walk into a room and you have a smell and the smell brings you a feeling a bunch of emotions yeah that you're not even quite sure what they are but you know you remember that thing Mm -hmm. well that's i think what's happening to robocop is he's going to these places and he's having these waves of emotion and going this is important but he can't actually the stuff that connects it to his to the real world's all been erased yeah um so since there are no cops Let's do some looting. Yeah. And we got a meal, drink. And this is, by the way, some neighborhood in Dallas that was all being torn down. So they said, can we just blow a bunch of stuff up? And Dallas said, sure. And then once they started seeing the size of the explosions, they went, what are you doing? <laughs> um, uh, so meals, yes. meals drinking, watching TV through the window of our I'll buy that for a dollar show. Yeah. And people are breaking windows and stealing things. And finally, I love this move. He takes his bottle of booze, throws it through the window, and you think he's going to go steal a TV. But no, he just wanted to turn up the volume so he could hear what's happening. Happy birthday, Dave. She's from me. <laughs> well, hey, can I have you both? Sure. <laughs> We've had our shots. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. And then... Clarence pulls up in his big SUX, his 6,000 sucks, and Lee and Joey there, and Joey has a brand new 6,000 SUX, just like Clarence. Clarence smiles, reaches into a car. What do you got there, Clarence? Whoa, a new toy! Can I play? And he pulls out a big, big gun and aims it at Joey's new car and blows it up. Watch this. Wait a minute, wait, Clarence! Clarence! Cobra assault cannon, state of the art, bang bang. See, Clarence is a dick. Joey is not happy. Yeah. But this is also Clarence's way of asserting his authority in the group. He is the leader. He will ride the best car, blah, blah, blah. That's it. Uh, And Emil takes it and fires and then says, I like it! Yeah. Which I got. We said that over and over again all the time, uh, and then everybody grabs the guns to go fire. And one of those explosions, by the way, ended up being way bigger than anyone expected. I Holy think it's shit. the last one that Emil shoots that Paul McCrane shot, yeah. and and they're all impressed that he they, they were all to stay in the scene yeah. and keep acting because it was a big, big scary explosion. And the last thing we see is that we pull out the tracker, which I should have said there's a tracker on RoboCop. Dick Jones had it. He gave it to Clarence. We know that RoboCop's at the steel mill that set off the steel mill. Yeah. Loses his sleep. RoboCop wakes up, checks his gun, fires at the baby food, misses. It's a tough way for Lewis to wake up. And he kind of says the targeting system is messed up. And she comes over to help. And he asks her to aim for him. And he aims. And... We see that the heads-up display isn't working quite right, and she asks if he's locked in, and she says yes, and she moves his hand over and says, now I think you got it, and he fires and destroys the baby food. Yeah. It's a lovely, intimate, simple scene. Right. And not romantic. No. It's very much friend to friend. Yeah. Gender neutral. I think it's... I think cop it's a cop. Yeah, I think it's just a very loving moment. Yeah. And, and that's the closest we get to you know anything else happening, because... 
Then the cars start pulling up. And of course, Murphy's like, go away. You should get out of here now. Hey, we're partners. Get the car. Now we get to our big battle. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, Clarence and the, the uh, Joey and Leon are walking in with Emil driving the truck behind them. Yeah. Robo pops up from the balcony, tosses that mirror, by the way, and they, uh, to hit somewhere else, they open fire on that. So we see kind of the big guns. Mm-hmm. And he still has, he can't shoot him in the back. No. He has to say, Looking for me. Uh, and they open fire on him. It's funny that they kind of hit everything they were aiming at mm-hmm. when they were shooting at cars. But now that they're shooting at Robocop, they cannot hit him at all. Uh, Clarence takes off in his car and it, um, Robo's down on the street standing in front of a giant tub named that says Toxic Waste. Toxic Waste. He's just at this abandoned factory. <laughs> they have a huge, you know, 9,000 gallon tub yeah. of toxic waste yeah. that they've labeled Toxic Waste, but apparently left there. Yeah. And Emil is driving straight at him, and Robo opens fire and then gets out of the way and he crashes into that oh. Toxic Waste thing. It opens up the back of the truck, a huge swamp of gunk flies out including emile's body which is melting yeah this freaked me out so much fuck yes man oh awful when when he pops back up again in a little bit that's really the freak it is so freaky clarence almost crashes into lewis um they go into a a car chase and there's this great moment where a hubcap flies like right towards camera totally an accident oh that was not planned on set at all which is really actually pretty scary yeah um and then this is Emil comes up to Leon, grabs onto him and goes, "Help me!" Yeah, oh. Leon does not help him. No, yeah, sh- shoots him, man. Yeah, he's an ugly thing. <laughs> it's really gross. Yeah, it's very good makeup. Yeah. Um, and then Emil steps out into the street, and Clarence turns the corner. Yeah, that's it. Is. Yeah. And just liquefies him. Yeah, he does. Shit! Oh my god. This I don't know why, but this always stuck with me. It's just a because really it's brutally graphic, man. And really gross and upsetting. Yeah. Even though Emil's a horrible person. Yes. But as a human, you feel sympathy. That's that's a terrible way to go. And and because he he goes through the liquefied body of yeah. Emil, uh Clarence flips the car, goes down this into this pit, into the water. Lewis gets out of the car, sees the flipped car in the water. She thinks, oh, we got him, not being a great cop at this moment, because Clarence comes out of the upside down car, opens fire on Lewis, shoots her a bunch. She yeah. falls down to the bank bank. He says, Bye bye, baby. Um, and then here comes Robocop. Yeah, man. Literally walking on water. Yep. Paul liked his uh, Jesus metaphors, <laughs> the hand and the. There's a whole bunch of stuff. The resurrection, right? I don't. Those don't work for me as much in the movie, but I appreciate that yes, what he's doing. Of course. And Clarence go tosses the gun away. Says, "Okay, I give up." And Robocop's line is, "I'm not arresting you anymore." <laughs> and we're like, "Oh shit, he's gonna yeah. kill him!" Except for. Leon, Ray Wise's character, is up above and is running towards this big crane. Right. And Clarence's starting to get worried. Thinking it's kind of personal, aren't you? Come on, man. Come on now, you're making me nervous. Come on, you can't do this. And just at that moment, Leon drops a whole bunch of steel right on top of Robocop's head. Yep. And it's brutal. You're like, oh, shit, he's down. Yeah. Uh, at that moment, Lewis has gotten to the big Cobra state-of-the-art bang-bang Opens fire on that crane, takes out Leon. Yeah. Um, and Clarence sees that Robocop is still alive, grabs a big sp- 
spike pole metal yeah. pole thing starts stabbing him which with by the way totally reminds me of the end of t2 yeah where the t1000 does this almost this exact same thing to arnold which yep. is like five years after this yeah um he swings down robocop blocks he swings down again blocks drives the thing through robocop's chest And we're like, oh, shit. And he says, sayonara, Robocop. And just as he does that, remember that spike? <laughs> Up out of his fist, drives it into Clarence's throat, and that's in it for Clarence. Yeah. Which, by the way, they figured that out much later. That was on the set. They figured out, hey, oh. we didn't. We still have this spike that we used oh, for the funny. computer thing. Let's use it here. And it's really bloody, by yeah. the way. And uh, it's a good battle, man. Yeah. Because you build up this evil villain this way, you got to have him come real close to winning but not being able to do it. Yeah. Um, and then the, this last moment of he calls out to Lewis and she says, Murphy, I'm a mess. And Murphy says, They'll fix you. They fix everything. I thought she was going to be a Robocop in the next movie. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe there was talk about that. Uh, but that's not what they did. No. Um, we're back at OCP. Dick is making a speech. Um, and saying the police strike could really work for us. We got Ed 209s everywhere. One is even guarding downstairs right now. Mm-hmm. Got two downstairs. Car pulls up. We see the Ed 209. It says, You are illegally parked on private property. You have 20 seconds to move your vehicle. The Ed 209 is not a subtle no, cop. No. It's kind of black and white for things. Uh, Robocop gets out of the car. He's got one of the state-of-the-art yeah. bang-bangs, opens fire, walks off, and we see the legs of Ed 209 step in. And we're like, oh, he didn't get him yet. <laughs> and then it just topples over. It's just legs. Just legs. Awesome. Very funny. Uh, Dick is finishing his speech. Mm-hmm. Everyone's applauding. Everything's great. In Watts, Robocop. Yeah, man. How can we help you, officer? Dick Jones is wanted for murder. And, of course, Directive 4 is flashing, and he says, My program will not allow me to act against an officer of this company. And the CEO asks, well, these are serious charges. What are your evidence? And, of course, he gets his little spike out, taps into this big wall of monitors, and up comes Dick Jones saying, I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. Now Dick Jones knows he's done. Yeah. Fortunately, that gun that was in this this boardroom for some reason is still there, and he grabs it, grabs the CEO, and now he's the the, the guy negotiating the hostage situation. We will walk to the roof very calmly. I will board the chopper with my hostage. Anybody tries to stop me, the old geezer gets it. The CEO says, "Dick, you're fired." Yeah, great moment. Yep. Dick, you're fired. Directive 4 goes away. RoboCop says thank you and opens fire and Dick goes out the window. Bad stop motion. Yeah. Because his arms are like six times longer than they need to be when he's falling. Oh, really? Yeah, now when I you watch it, his it. arms are like way too long. And the the guy who I just called Black Guy because I don't know his name mm-hmm. gives Robo a thumbs up at this moment. I don't think he's such a great guy either. He isn't. No, he's not really a great guy. But now he's cleared the path for him to move up. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the thing about the end of this movie. He spins the gun, puts it back in the holster, and the CEO says, Nice shooting, son. What's your name? And he says, Murphy. Titles, credits. Um, 
It's what's really funny is I think you like that CEO in the last moments. Sure. But he's a jerk too. He's a jerk. Yeah, no, they're all bad people. But he hasn't actively done anything jerky through the movie except Not that one line. Right. Not in the movie. Right, right. But my my feeling is that he's he's if these are the people under you, Steve, yeah. it's because you're creating well, an he, environment. He that these built this can... company. Yeah, I mean, like exactly. this is I think you know what you said you said that Dick Jones was Bob. Yeah. And then Bob becomes Dick Jones. Well, yeah. that's the next step is to become the CEO. Exactly. You know, you're still doing all the same horrible stuff. I'm sure they came up together. Yeah. 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 Um, so if we've reached the end of Robocop. Yes. The movie is a good, not a huge hit. No. It, it makes, it's. I think it's 16th in the box office that uh-huh. year in 87. There's a lot of great movies in 87. It's pretty good. Um, and of course, like a lot of things we talked about, huge VHS sales and rentals, oh, yeah. huge DVD sales to rentals. It spawns a, a bunch of sequels. So- uh, RoboCop 2 comes out in 90. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, this is going to be the greatest film ever made. And you know why? Well, Frank, Frank Miller. Miller. Was, Frank Miller. Like, like we it. talked about Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, yeah it heard who's going to direct it. Then, no, he's just the screenwriter. Right. And then, I don't know what, it's, it's so funny. I Just last night, I watched the RoboCop 2 trailer. And I'm looking at that going, how could I have possibly thought yeah. this would be good? It is so and I remember going to the theater on opening night to see RoboCop 2, so excited. And I remember like 10 minutes in going, okay, it's not so good, but it's still going to be great. It's still yeah. going to be great. Halfway through going, oh, God. Yeah. Because it is, and that's the only time I saw it. I don't think I ever saw RoboCop 3. I didn't I didn't even bother with that one. Yeah. And then we went uh, to see the RoboCop remake. Yeah. And I actually was, I still think that's a great movie to remake. Absolutely. But you got to keep the spirit of the first right. one. And they didn't. Because they're still dealing with- corporate power and police force and and technology and you know how society works and the media and all the stuff that this movie's about yeah totally can make that movie today you had a good cast michael keaton joel kinnaman abby cornish it was a good cast terrible film though. yes just terrible yeah uh, but robocop is a really great film yes how did it do uh overall like did it one oscar it was nominated for stuff i think it was nominated for three oscars okay. uh uh, I think editing and effects, and it won. I think, okay. and it won for sound. So we mentioned all of that already. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anything else? No. I'm good. You want to go first? Or me too. Oh uh, yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Time. So John, what are your final thoughts on RoboCop? Now, my final thoughts is it was great to revisit this in 2018, and just like the great films, and we've said this over and over again, still resonates. The, the themes are universal. What we're dealing with, and this is probably you know uh, goes through de- multiple decades of movies. The reasons they are still watched today, the reasons that multiple generations rediscover films are because the themes, the messages are universal to our society and to us as humans. And I think that's what you see in RoboCop here, this idea of corporate versus human, this idea of unions versus uh, you know uh, people who are trying to take advantage of uh, these people in, in these jobs. And you see that all there. But what's at the center of this movie is this very human story about a man who is caught in the wrong place, the wrong time, and he's seen as uh, a means to an end by another po- more powerful man, and his humanity is essentially almost erased so that he can become in service of a prophet. And that is the scary part about RoboCop. When you strip it all down, all the cheesiness, all the game show stuff down, it's about a man who's being abused by a more powerful man in order to make that more powerful man more money. And that's the scary thing about our society sometimes is we feel at times that we're just cogs in a machine and we can't control it. We can't stop that machine. And uh, that the film RoboCop really shows you that. But great acting work all around with Peter Weller and Nancy Ellen as well. And uh, uh, and of course, the great Ronnie Cox and Miguel Ferrer. So it's a definitely enjoyable film. And 
if you haven't seen it in a while, it does hold up. I know there is a tendency to look at old 80s films and wonder if they hold up. This one definitely does. I'm thinking about this, and the interesting thing to me about Robocop, I think mm-hmm. it's a great film. Yeah. I don't think this is for everybody. I think this movie, it's extremely violent. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, we've had this conversation many times about whether or not violence is treated pornographically. Yeah. You know, is that uh, Coppola and some other directors really wanted you to feel in a horrible way what violence is really like. Yeah. And then you have movies like whether well, Jackie Chan movie or Raiders of the Lost Ark where the violence is thrilling and fun. Yeah. This movie goes so far beyond is that that it goes into a whole other area of becoming funny yeah. if you have a sick sense of humor. Yes. Like if you are willing, because what this movie is going at, the media and corporate power and all this stuff, and it's making it all, it's taking it to the most ridiculous extreme. Yeah. And I think some people, they don't want to do that. And they, and, and this movie is easily one that could offend you. Yeah. Um, I do have a sick sense of humor, and I do think that often ex- taking things to the furthest extreme is the only way for us to look at it. Yeah. And what's so great, and I think you said it really well, is in addition to the comedy, in addition to the violence, in addition to really good action sequence, is there's a real heart mm-hmm. inside this movie, mm-hmm. and which you know, and that's really what it's about is this human spirit and what it is to be human. Um, and it still totally a hundred percent holds up for me. Yeah. I really still enjoy it, and this is definitely a movie I will watch again in mm-hmm. a couple of years, and I. I will watch it again. Yeah. So that's what we think of Robocop. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Please visit us on our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. Subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube. Leave us a review. Leave us a comment. If you want to support the show like uh, our three members did, our three patrons did this time, please do it on patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. If you want to buy or stream any movie we've ever reviewed, including Robocop, visit cinephiles.net, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S.net. And if you want to reach me, you can do so at SR Morris. John, where could they reach you? Uh, you can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And if Steve doesn't mind, I'd like to promote um, the top ten. We're going to London. Uh, oh, our, that's right. Yeah, yes. our show's February twenty third. The tickets are on sale now at www.kingsplace.co.uk. Just go there, hit February twenty third on their calendar, and you'll see us pop up. It's only twenty five pounds uh, for the for anybody who's listening who's international listener. If you can make it out there, February twenty third, two thousand nineteen. Tickets are on sale now. I'll do that there, uh, and I think they own all the stuff I do on Collider and on Collider Sports. If you're a sports fan, you can watch all the sports content we do over there on the Collider Sports YouTube channel, Collider Sports Podcast channel. And just on Top 10 Live, having seen the Top 10 Live in Los Angeles, I can tell you if you're a fan of the show, you absolutely should go because it's everything you love about the show, plus they're interacting with you. Yeah. So you really, you get to see how it happens and really be involved in it. It was such a great experience to see it uh, that time. I highly recommend all you people in the UK going to see it in London. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Of course. And that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. The Cinephiles.